You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode number 90. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Second Breaks where we dig into stories and strategies for navigating this changing world of work. And if you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you found me. My name is Lou Blazer. By the way, I'm the host of the show and a Second Breaker myself. And if you are a returning listener, well, I am just so thrilled that you are back, allowing me to share a few minutes of your day this Thursday or whenever it is that you're listening to this episode. I've got a terrific person to introduce to you today, Jenny Nash, who is the CEO of Author Accelerator, a book coaching company. But we're not talking about books. We're not talking about writing books or editing books or even book coaching for that matter, which if you listen to some of the past episodes, there's the writer part of me who would have loved to have indulged and talked about that topic on end, hours on end. You know, I've done that before, uh, but that's not what we're going to do today. <laughs> today, we're talking about working as a freelancer or a free agent or a contractual worker in the gig economy. Jenny has a unique insights into this world because she employs over 30 gig workers in her company. So we get to peek behind the curtains today, so to speak. But before we get on to the topic on hand, I want to first let you know about a new webinar that I'm hosting on Wednesday, April 17th. The title of the webinar is pretty self-explanatory, Four Steps to a Painless Career Pivot. So that's what we're going to cover, Four Steps to a Painless Career Pivot. The webinar is going down at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on April 17th, which happens to be Wednesday. Attending these webinars live is always the best course, but if you just cannot be there live, You'll get the link to the recording if you register for the webinar. So to get all the details and to save your spot, you want to head on over to the show notes for today's episode, which is secondbreaks.com forward slash episode nine zero. So I am sure that you've heard or have noticed the rise of the so-called gig work, right? Independent work or you know, gig work consists of income generating activities outside of your traditional long-term employer-employee relationship. And people have different, you know, understanding of what a gig work really is, right? Some, some think of it as, you know, short-term project-based work. Others think of it in terms of the tax or the legal status, like gig workers are contractors receiving 1099 instead of W-2, right? Some think of gig work as, you know, in terms of work that is flexible or maybe even unpredictable work schedule, right? And on this show, we've had previous guests like Kirsten Runvig in episode 57 and Adrian Machina way back in episode 7, 
who have chosen to have a portfolio of projects or gig work instead of the traditional employment approach. That was the choice that they made. And in those episodes, we talked about how they did it, why they chose that path, what they liked about it, and also how they manage the ups and downs and the risks associated with having that kind of a work uh, path or a career path, right? Today, though, I am very excited because we get to explore this work approach or this work option, really, from a different perspective. Jenny Nash is the founder of Author Accelerator. It's a book coaching service that has helped hundreds of writers complete their book projects by giving them the sustained editorial support that they need. Her company's business model was designed from the beginning to leverage the rising popularity of independent work as a valid option and often a better choice for many workers. In this episode, we explore the independent work option from both the employer and the employee perspectives. We talk about the pros and cons of this independent work path and how you can decide if this is a good or if this is the right career path for you. Now, one thing that I want to flag your attention to, it's slightly off topic, but towards the beginning of the conversation, Jenny shared how she met her business partner and how the company was formed. It is a story in and of itself and a lesson on serendipity and perseverance and being open to new ideas. And I just wanted to, I was so taken by that bit of story that I just wanted to flag your attention to it. And so keep your ears open to that. It happens early in the conversation. Okie dokie, let me get out of the way and I'll catch up with you at the back end. I know when people hear about the, the gig economy, they think about being an Uber driver or one of those, um, you know, marketplaces uh, for freelancers or that type of thing. And I'm, I'm running a company. I started a company called Author Accelerator, and it's a book coaching company. So we should probably talk about what a book coach is in a minute. But um, I have 32 book coaches working for me, and they are all over the world, actually. And I run that business out of my home, and they're all working out of their homes. So we're a virtual company where uh, uh, those those 32 book coaches are freelancers, but they work for me. And um, we serve writers. We're serving more than 200 writers right now. We serve serious writers who are intent on writing and finishing and publishing books. So we're helping them over time. That's what a book coach does. We help rather than People know what an editor is. An editor swoops in with a red pen to to work on the pages when they're finished. A book coach is helping a writer while they work to conceive of the project and provide accountability and feedback while they write. So we're it's we're actually a subscription business. It's people subscribe to us and they buy packages of a certain number of deadlines and they move through their work in that way. And so the book coaches are are guiding them. They're, they're doing project management, they're helping them with the editorial, and they're giving them emotional support for, for the tough journey of being a writer. Gotcha, gotcha. And just to clarify, to make sure it's clear to everybody who's listening, you said freelancers. So these are contractual contractors or uh, not employees, not full-time employees of your company? That's correct. They're, 
they're 1099 workers. So they're working for themselves, they're independent contractors, and the, we're doing work for hire agreements with them. What's fascinating to me is we've been in business now for five years, and I'm really excited. So we just finished our year end, and we we hit our, our goal of half a million in revenue. In I know, it's really exciting. And, um, but over those five years, the, I, I think I've had three people leave. I mean, people are, are working for me. Many of my people have been working for me for now three, four, four and a half years. So it's, um, it, that's the other thing I think when people think of the gig is they think of a really short term one off thing, but I have relationships with these people. We do training calls, you know, they come to us for problems. They're, they're part of our universe and really part of our, our universe and part of our culture, but they're, they're 1099 employees. Yes. That's uh, thank you so much for clarifying that. And I really wanted to dig into this whole concept or it's not a concept, it's a real thing, uh, both from, you know, the employer's perspective, but also from the employee's perspective, because you obviously know that side as well. But before we get there, I was just wondering when you started the company, did you, it was part of the plan to have freelancers working for you or that just happened along the way evolved to be this way? It was precisely the the plan and, and it um, was a hundred percent, not my idea. So um, <laughs> uh, I came up in, in the world as a writer. I'm the author of eight books in three genres. I worked at random house was my first job out of college. So I was on the writing side my whole career and I began to be a book coach by accident. Um, and I was teaching at the UCLA Writers Program. And some instructors came to me. I have a very strategic way of approaching the creative process, which is very unusual, it turns out. Most people that are on the creative side are just wholly on the creative side. And I have a very strategic, logical mindset that I was bringing to it. And um, one of my colleagues asked me for for help with the book she was writing that she was struggling with. Um, and that book turned out to be, it's quite well known now. It's Wired for Story by Lisa Cron. And she's also, uh, also the author of Story Genius, which I coached her through. So my first accidental client got a two book deal and um, it sort of just took off from there. And I was actually giving a talk to a group of entrepreneurs about at UCLA about how writing a book can help you become a thought leader in your field. Mm. And so I was really talking about strategy and marketplace and audience and, and this creative side as well. And there was a, a man in the audience who taught at the Entrepreneurial Center at UCLA, who's a startup um, expert. So he's a startup guy. He has all these startups. And he approached me after the talk and, and said, you have exactly the kind of system that can scale. And I said, no, I don't. That's ridiculous. I'm just a writer and a book coach. So like, go away. And uh, <laughs> I just thought he was a crazy, you know, startup guy. But he was quite relentless in, in pursuing me. And we laugh about that today. Um, and it was his idea. And he said, you could teach this to other people, and then they could execute your systems and strategies and processes. And I, I had not, the way I'm speaking to you now makes it sound like I always knew that I had this strategic 
uh, piece mm. of, the, of the thing. I didn't know that. And it was his showing me that and reflecting that to me that made me think, oh, maybe we could do that. And it, th your question is very insightful because he laid out this idea and this business plan and this model. And, and I, my one objection was there's no way we could get the kind of talent that we would need. Uh, and I have very high standards and I'm very strict about this. This is not, I am not helping people write bad books. Mm. I'm helping people write good books. And I, I, <laughs> I need talented people to do that. And I said, I don't think we could get them for what, for what, we were going to pay and on a part-time basis. And he said, you are wrong and let's, let's do this and we'll prove this. And his insight was there's so, I mean, this is a sad part and I, and, and it's just true though. There's so many talented people in all creative fields who aren't getting the work that they mm -hmm. need or want. And, and it's a very unstable lifestyle. I mean, talk to any, right? An actor, a dancer, a graphic, well, maybe not graphic design, but, um, you know, a, a writer, anyone in, in these fields, it's very hard to do that work. They often have to go do other kinds of work. And so his insight was there will be very talented people clamoring to do this. So I, I cannot take credit for it. All I did was finally relent and say, okay, let's try it. Did you know this guy or was he just, he like was a random dude from the audience. And, and I was, and he was, he's, well, he's my business partner. It's not like I'm talking about him in the past. He's very young. And at the time he approached me he, really young. I think he, he was probably close to half my age. And, and I thought he's just a, a boy, you know, like I, I mean, he was a professor at the, the entrepreneurial center, but in my head, I, I was like, he's just, and then I also had that, um, that thing that I lot. I think a lot of people in publishing or writing do, which is, which is, but that business world or that entrepreneurial world, or that startup world is somehow dirty or different, or it's gonna, it's gonna, um, make what we do not pure in some way sort of had a little bit of that and no I absolutely didn't know him and and he kept he kept I mean he's a model in how you should do this because he kept emailing he kept calling he kept saying just meet me for coffee and I was like I don't have time for this crazy guy <laughs> like you know um so no, I did not know him. And oh my goodness, that story alone is a lesson from both sides. Like from the from from his side, how you know relentless and committed he was to the idea, and he just didn't, you know, he he didn't accept the initial no from you, and he he kept at it. But also from your end, because you were open to serendipity and like, okay, I don't know this guy, but he, you know, you were open to listening to the idea and to trying it out. That is an awesome, actually, story in and of itself. <laughs> well, and it keeps that dynamic actually keeps keeps helping us because I'm sure you know, because you talk to so many people that starting a business, I mean, there's just roadblocks and perils at every step. And every time we hit some sort of roadblock, um, I mean, when we went to hire our first full-time employee, we actually have a staff of six full-time employees. And when we went to hire them, um, I mean, I was so paranoid. I was so panicked. And I was just like, 
I don't think I'm a person who can be responsible for another person's salary and well-being. Like, I don't know if I can do that. And, you know, so the roadblock was me. And and my partner, uh, Matt, was, you know, just said, again, you're wrong. And, and he said, this is my world. And I know this. And we are in really good shape. All of our metrics and numbers are great. We can do this. And, um, and then there was another moment when we hit uh, a phase in our business where we really changed our pricing model and what we were delivering and how we were delivering it. And I thought the whole thing was going to come crashing down. And, and the same thing, you know, he, he knows from the startup side, he said, um, this was right at the start of our fifth year. He said, year five is where businesses go to die and we're not going to die. And, and so we're going to do this, you know, we're going to pivot. We're going to follow what we know and it's going to be great. And, and we had an incredible um, year of growth. So he, that's the dynamic and, and you're right. It, um, you know, being, I mean, being an entrepreneur, but being a writer also, it's a leap of faith. And, and so I'm taking the leap of faith that I'm also asking my clients to take. And I think it's really important to, to be in that same space as them, because I, I know what it mm-hmm. feels like. Now, you alluded to, or you actually already mentioned when you were talking about the initial idea about, you know, hiring part-time folks. And you already alluded to one of the challenges that you thought you were going to face, which is, uh, you know, where are we going to find these talented people on a part-time basis? I guess that is because from from an outsider's perspective, I had the same I like thought. From an employer's perspective, isn't that more challenging to find find people who are willing to do this work part-time? Because and maybe I am wrong because my thought is that. People are looking for full-time positions. So it turns out that this is the other myth, at least, that we have found. We have, and I thought the same thing. I thought exactly the same thing. We have the most amazing people that work for us. And, and I mean, I'll tell you two stories that go to this. The first thing we did to hire people, I mean, it's just embarrassing to even say it out loud, is we put an ad on Craigslist. I mean, it was crazy. And I think what, what we did that was, that was very smart and, and I didn't know it was so smart at the time, but we had a great job description. We were extremely clear about what it was, what it was paying at the, which at the time was quite low and, and what the parameters were. You're going to work from home. You're going to work for yourself. It's going to be a, you know, 1099, like everything every question you would have was right there in the job description. So only people, you know, when we said, do not call us if you're, these things don't work for you. So we were very clear about that. And then we de- developed a, a test. And this is the, the piece on which my whole business rests is this test. And, and it is an editorial test that measures what I think is, is going to make a good book coach. And, and we do it in a very specific way. And the first thing people have to do is take the test. And first of all, it's a four hour test. So who's going to take a four hour test for a low paying part-time job? Like I put up so many barriers and that first ad on Craigslist, we had 175 applications. We gave the test to everyone 
And then we interviewed, um, I think it was less than 20 people out of that 175. And then we hired um, two of them. So that was our, our sort of takeaway. And those two coaches are still working for us. They, they were extraordinary. And, and they just happened to be people who I was in Los Angeles at the time. And they just happened to be people who, so I put the ad in Craigslist, Los Angeles. Um, you know, one was a woman trying to make it as a screenwriter. And one was another who had a, a job as a journalist at one of the small journals in the, in the town that doesn't make very much money. So they were both trying to be in that world already. And they were looking to this as a second um, income. And the thing that appealed to them and appeals to all of the people that work for us still is I mean, look, I was a freelance writer for years and years and years. You have to spend a lot of time getting the work, marketing yourself, in taking clients, vetting clients, dealing with bad clients, you know, uh, losing clients, all of that. And what we were offering was, you don't have to do that. We're just going to hand you this work on a silver platter. And it's really good work. It's satisfying, deep, good, engaging work. And we're just going to hand it to you and you just have to do it. And that's the thing that really appealed to them and appeals to people still. So um, that's one story that I, that kind of frames it up. But the second story is that now we still have that same test <laughs> and um, we're scared to change it because it works so well. And um, we have a link on our website for people who are interested in the next time we give the test. And we don't literally do not market it anywhere. We have never marketed it anywhere. And at the moment, I think there's more than 100 people on that list who have found it, who've self-selected. A lot of them are friends of people who work for us already. Um, people who are our clients want to work for us. People who've just heard about us. And so we have a pool of 100 self-selected, super interested people that the next time we, we need coaches, we'll go and we'll give the test and we'll see who does well and who interviews. And this is how we, we do it now. And each time it's that same, um, that same thing where not many people do well on the test. So we only interview the people that do well on the test now. And then What's funny is usually by the time we get to talk to them and interview them, we already know we're going to hire them because the, the test is just that good. So our, our interview process is, is like I would be embarrassed if, if an expert looked at it because they would say, that's crazy. <laughs> and, but it, I think in all the time of the 32 coaches we've hired, um, there was one interview when we did not make an offer to the person. So, so usually if they do well on the test and we talk to them on the phone, we already know we're going to hire them. So, so from the employer point of view, it's, it's about knowing exactly what I'm looking for. It's about testing for it. And I don't care. This is what's so interesting is I could care less where somebody went to school, what job they have, what I, I don't care. I just want somebody who can do well on my test. And we have one person 
this is my favorite, one of my favorite stories. We have very few male coaches. For some reason, they don't do well on our test. <laughs> and um, there was this guy, and he um, he did really, really well on the test. And so then I went to look at his resume, which is backwards, right? Usually you look at the resume yes, first. first. And I look at his resume and I laughed out loud because he was my age. He was exactly my age. And he had, was still working. He had a very intense and thriving career in, in IT. He worked in IT at this big company. And there was literally not one thing on his resume about writing or editing or books or anything, except he listed where he went to college and that he was an English major. Ah. And I was like, oh, this is a guy who loves books and stories and writing and hasn't done it since college, but has this secret longing. Like I had this whole narrative in my head. So we get on the phone <laughs> and I said, the first thing I said to him is, can we talk about your resume? <laughs> like, you're totally unqualified for this. How did you do so well on my test? And it turned out that I had it exactly right. He, he said, I'm, I'm an IT guy who, who should have been a poet. And, you know, I, I think I'd be really good at this and I really want to do this. And, and, um, and we hired him and, and he, well, and then this is the second piece of it. We, um, we developed a killer training program for, so that I could teach someone like that. This is, you know, you have the instincts. This is what I want you to now do. So we had this training program and a oversight program where those coaches would come in and work with our existing coaches to learn how to do this. And to, um, it's like an apprentice program. Um, and we're actually rolling out in a few, um, weeks, a book coach certification course for people who want to learn how to do this outside of my company. And, um, that comes from this training program. Gotcha. Just a quick question, Jenny. Did you say you developed this super effective test? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the perfect uh, tool for looking for the right candidate, right? I mean, I don't care. I have people who don't have high school degrees. I, I mean, college degrees, I'm sorry, who have high school education and not college degrees, who are really really good at this work. I, I have a woman who in the interview with me said, I have to tell you, I can't hold down a real job in a real office because I suffer from anxiety and depression. And I, I, that's why I need to do work from home. And there might be times when that gets in the way of my work. And I need to tell you that. And we had this great conversation about, okay, if you know, you can manage that, what happens when you can't and how are we going to deal with that? I mean, she's been working for us for two years. We've never had a problem. I, I had a woman working for me and I didn't know this until after I'd hired her, um, who lives in a wheelchair and uses adaptive technology to do her work. And, um, I have actually another person right now who's legally blind. She's, she's legally blind. And, she does extraordinary work and all of those things, I could care less about those things. 
I just want people to do good. <laughs> this is, oh my goodness. I want to dig into that uh, in a little bit from the employee's perspective because I, this is something I hear so often, especially in my line of work and the kinds of conversations that I, uh, that I have with folks are folks who have some constraints, whether it's time, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, obligations or physical handicaps, whatever, that they're finding ha- they're finding it hard to uh, look for or find a traditional employment sort of setup where they can grow and they can, you know, utilize their talents without thinking that there is this other alternative um, employment structure or work structure that may allow them to do that. But before I go there, just one more question from from your perspective as, a, as an employer, because one of one of the major, at least, you know, in a traditional employment setting, one of the major expenses that an employer spends on is, you know, the, the onboarding of the person, right, and the training of the person to get them uh, used to the way that we do business here and our processes right. and all that kinds of stuff. It's such a big upfront investment so that the whole retention question is, you know, it's a big deal for them because when they lose the employee, that's basically the, the initial investment is down the drain. So do you ever, is that a challenge for you or how do you deal with that? I really think this is the core, the core of, of the reason that we're doing well is that right from the start, we understood, and I think this is probably um, Matt's Matt's wisdom that we needed to build a culture for our company, even though we didn't have a place and we needed to understand what it was going to be like to work for us. And one of the things we said is we want to be a great place to work. And, and to your point, I had to wrestle with the fact, like, what if people come in and they take my training and they, I put all this into them and they, and then they go off and do their own book coaching. Like I knew I was going to be really angry <laughs> and upset, and, and that that would just not go over well with me. And, and I did wrestle with it a lot. And what I had to learn was, okay, I have to look at that from another perspective. If I can be a place where people come and they work for a year or two and they learn skills enough so that they can go back out and, and do something good for themselves, why wouldn't I want to be that place? And, you know, why wouldn't I want to offer that? You know, so I started thinking about what if we become a place where if you want to do this work and start your own business and, and have your own um, independence, this is the best place to go get this training. And that if, if I think about it like that, that's actually where the book coach certification came from. So I thought, okay, if this is what I'm doing, I'm also going to then offer that to, to the world. If, if, I'm, if, if I want to put all this effort into how we train and, and what we train and what I want to teach and what I want people to do, let me capture that and then have that be a product. So for someone who might be thinking, I don't know, I've always been uh, working for an o- in an office, although this idea of working remotely sounds like ideal or even romantic in my mind, but how, is there a way for someone to know 
if ro working remotely is right for them, or even from, from your perspective when you're interviewing someone, is there something that you hear when they talk about it that makes you think this, this person is good for a, a work remote sort of setup, remote worker setup? Yeah, there, there's, I mean, there's, we could talk about that all day. I, I've worked for myself, by myself, in my home, remotely for, I mean, more than 27 years. So I, I know very well what it's like and what, what it takes. And, and there's a, I, there's a thing I would call an ownership mindset that it's got to be somebody who takes ownership of the work. So if, if it's somebody who, um, I don't know, thrives on just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Or, you know, if they're asking questions that they're nervous about, if they're even nervous about that idea of how do I manage my day? How do I manage my time? How do I, how do I manage a project and these workers? If, if they've never done anything like that and they're asking questions about, um, about that, that would be a red flag for me. So, you know, it's, um, there's project management, there's time management, there's, there's productivity and optimization. Like somebody has got to understand all those things and intuitively know how to do all those things. And uh, a key indicator for us is comfort with technology. We use a lot of different technologies. So if somebody is, um, you know, does great on the test, but then we would get in the interview and find out, well, they don't even, you know, we use Dropbox a lot, for example, they don't even know what Dropbox is, or they, you know, we use Slack, or, you know, that we use a lot of very modern uh, technology tools. And somebody has to have a, a deep comfort with that and, and willingness to, to learn that and use that. And we're, we're actually constantly introducing new tools to our, our coaches and um, different, different things. And so it's, it's that mindset of, I can learn, I can grow, I can, I can, it's like, you know, um, I think it's Marie Forleo who has that word figure outable. And it's really that somebody who's like, I can figure this out and, and I want to figure this out. And, and I actually have, um, a great number of people, this circles back to a question you asked earlier, which was a great question that, I actually think there's far more people who are not looking for a full-time traditional job in the first place than, than we may think. And many people who are doing those jobs are desperately looking for a way to not do them. So they're already kind of pointed in that direction. And a, a large number of the people that work for me, I think about slightly less, less than half are moms and moms are this giant untapped. I mean, I have people working for me who are so much better educated than I am. They have law degrees, they have MFAs, they've, you know, worked at NPR. They like, they just, they have this incredible wealth of education and knowledge and know-how and they want to be home when their kids get home from school. They want to be able to go to the sporting event that their kid is in. I, I have a lot of people working for me that I know now who have special needs kids, all of those workers. And those workers don't want a full-time job. They can't 
spend time getting up and getting dressed and going into an office and going to meetings. And like, it's that thing I talked about, just give me good work to do and I'll do it in the time that I have available. But, but, you know, they don't have time to to go get the work or to hang their own shingle out. We talked a lot about, you know, the pros of working remotely or having a side gig. Is there any cons? Is there anything that we should consider? On the other hand, this is what it means. Is there anything there that we should be considering? I mean, from my point of view, I don't, I have not seen a lot of downsides. Um, I mean, that's not true. Let's be fair. The downside is health insurance. Yes. Um, You have to to find your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and, and that argues against, um, it's very hard for a single person, um, to, to do well with a gig or a series of gigs because of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's so, it, yeah, that's the downside is, and then, and then the other downside, and, and this is a place I, I really would rather not even look at because it, I find it very upsetting, but there is an exploitative aspect to it mm-hmm. in in terms of what I'm able to pay and I'm not paying benefits and what I'm making. And it, I, I'm not um, making that much that, that it's, it's like a situation where, you know, at those companies where the CEO is making gazillions of dollars on the backs of really low paid labor. It's not that, but that there is, there is, I sometimes have this thing where I'll say to my husband or my business partner or my close friends, I'll say, am I just exploiting people? Is Mm -hmm. that what I'm doing? Is, am I just as bad as, you know, whatever X company that you might read about? Like if that's for me, the thing I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh no, am I that? And, and it's because of that reality that I, these people are, some of them, you know, we call it a gig for some of them, it's their full-time work. So that's the thing with a a gig economy is you can expand or contract the work as you would like. And so some people are, are working all their hours for me. And then I think, oh, that's, that's not cool. I'm not giving them, um, you know, benefits or healthcare. So that's the thing we are looking at and thinking about and um, working on all the time. Um, so I would say that, yeah, that's the downside. And and um, there are some people who can't afford to do it. And um, well, if they're doing a gig as a second job, that's, that's helpful. Um, you know, I, you know, we talked about Uber at the start. I, I love talking to Uber drivers to understand why they're doing it and you know you meet people like dads trying to put their kids through college and this is their second job or college students trying to fund their education and that's it's like an amazing opportunity that flexible work you can do on your own and I'm offering that as well but but yeah the downside would be well what if this is what somebody is doing how do you make a living and a life in that in that so that's the downside. Gotcha. So just kind of peeking, you know, if we were looking at a, at a crystal ball, I guess, do you ever, do you have plans or is, is there a plan for if, if the company gets to be this 
size or this, you know, if we're able to go to this scale that we're going to have full-time employees? Is that, or this is really your, your model? I don't know. I mean, we're just going to have to see. It's, we talk about it, we think about it, we look at it. Um, I suspect that as we begin to certify book coaches and we have more people at what I would call the the lower end, um, charging lower prices, that the people working for us might become elite higher um, end book coaches. And that at that point, we might bring them on um, as full-time employees. Um, I guess it's all remains to be seen. One last question. Where can people find you online or find out more about the work that you do, about, you know, Author Accelerator, or even keep an eye out for the for the book coaching certification program that you talked about? I put together some resources for your listeners on a page. It's authoraccelerator.com backslash second break. And if, if you visit that page, you can find out more about what what we do, you can find out about book coach certification. I have some special downloads for people to learn about what makes a good book coach. What are the characteristics that make a a good book coach? And we'll have that up there for people and they can check it out. So it's authoraccelerator.com backslash second breaks. Cool beans. Thank you so much, Jenny. I love our conversation. You have to come back. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. So what do you think is independent work for you? Or perhaps you already have experience in freelance work. What do you like or what don't you like about it? Hit me up on Instagram and let me know. You can find me and direct message me at Blazer on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. Now, as a reminder, head on over to the show notes for the link to the April 17th webinar, Four Steps to a Painless Career Pivot, and save your spot today. The show notes for this episode are at secondbreaks.com forward slash episode 90. Now, this podcast, Second Breaks, is brought to you by Anne's Riving. Anne's Riving is a professional network for folks like you, professionals who are looking to make a move and thrive in their chosen field of work. Anne's Riving members get access to one-on-one mentoring, resources and tools for designing and planning their career move, and the opportunity to create valuable professional connections. You can learn more about Anthriving at anthriving.net. And while you're there, you can add your name to the wait list to hear about the next time the door opens for new members. Okie dokie, that about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and being with me for a few minutes today. I cannot wait to chat with you again next week. I will be back with a new topic to help you move forward with your career goals and step into the future that you want. Until then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans.